right, well, good morning. Uh, thankful to be back with you uh, this week. Last week, my family and I, we were traveling back from Florida. We're spending some time with friends and family, uh, but glad to be here today. And today is an exciting day because we are kicking off our fall life group term here at LifePoint. You know, one of our, our core values as a church is authentic community. We believe that we have been designed, we have been created for community, and our desire as a church is to see everybody who calls Life Point home connected in authentic community through a life group. You see, life groups aren't just something that we do here at Life Point. They're not just another ministry or program that we offer. No, life groups are really like at the core of who we are. It's our, a part of our DNA. In fact, over 80% of our Sunday morning attendance across all of our campuses is connected in a life group. A community is a really big deal to us. It's, it's really important. And I'm personally um, excited about this, this fall life group term. At my uh, previous church, all of our life groups happened on Sunday morning on campus, uh, which was a great model because it took care of the, the child care piece. But unfortunately, for staff members, it meant that we were never able to really participate because we were always working on, on Sunday morning. So Brooke and I, we're excited to, uh, to be able to jump into a group this fall to be in a community together, to be growing and serving alongside with other believers. So listen, if you're not currently in a group, or maybe you used to be in a group and you took a semester off and that semester turned into two semesters and then a couple of years, man, now's the time to jump back in, to be a part of a life group. And you can find the, the list of all of our available life groups. You can scan the, uh, the QR code or go to the LifePoint app, and we have all of those listed. We also have a physical copy out in the lobby at Guest Central, our life group catalog, where you can see all the available groups, time, place, location, or Pastor Dustin would love to connect with you and help point you in the right direction. But get plugged in with a group this fall. Don't miss out on the benefit and the blessing of community in your life. So today, we are continuing our teaching series through Revelation, and we're a little past the, the halfway point in the, our journey through, uh, through Revelation, and I so appreciate uh, Mark filling in last week and doing an awesome job uh, while I was away. But today, we're going to be taking a look at kind of a large chunk, a large portion of, of Scripture. We're going to be looking at Revelation chapter 12 all the way through 14. So if you have your Bible, I'd go ahead and encourage you to go ahead and open up there. We're going to be looking at Revelation 12, 13, and 14. And obviously, with three chapters, we're not going to be going verse by verse through this. Like, we've got some NFL games we got to catch this afternoon. And if we were going verse by verse through these chapters, we would be here for hours. But we're going to be doing kind of a a high-level overview of these chapters that we're, we're looking at. But before we, we jump in, let me just kind of preface what we're going to, to be looking at today and honestly in the, the coming weeks. We are transitioning into the really challenging and confusing part of Revelation, where frankly, there's just a lot of really strange imagery and symbolism going on. And there are a lot of different interpretations and opinions of these chapters. Theologians, biblical scholars, they're kind of all over the spectrum in terms of how they understand and interpret these chapters. But I just want you to know, as, as your pastor, that I approach these, these chapters, these passages, honestly, just with a lot of humility, not pretending in any way to be an expert on Revelation. I'm not, I'm not a Revelation expert. But each week, I spend hours 
studying the text, reading different commentaries, looking at different opinions and interpretations. And what I try to do each week is I do my best to try to be faithful to what the author of the book, and in this case, John, was communicating to his original audience. I try not to read the passage with my own ideas, my own thoughts, and my own perspectives that I'm putting on top, but I want to be faithful to what God's word has to say. Each week when I stand up here, that's my goal, to try to be as faithful as possible to what God's word has to say. And as I've been kind of studying over the last few weeks, there have been two books that have been particularly helpful. And I wanted to recommend them to you this morning, because maybe you've been wondering each week, like, where is this guy coming up with this stuff? Is he just making this up? But two books that have been really helpful for me. One is a book called Discipleship on the Edge by Daryl Johnson. Highly recommend that one. The other one is a book called Blessed by Nancy Guthrie. Blessed by Nancy Guthrie. Great books, very easy to read. And unlike a lot of books that, you know, with Revelation, it's all very academic and thinking. These books take these tough topics in Revelation, these visions, the symbols, and they apply them to our life today and show how relevant this book is for us as believers. So today, Revelation 12 through 14. In these chapters, we see this cosmic battle that is taking place, a a battle that has really been going on since the, the beginning of time. It's a battle that took place in heaven a long time ago, and it's a battle that is going on in our world today, whether we recognize it or realize it. And it is a battle between the forces of good and evil. And these two sides, these two forces, they are fighting for our allegiance and our devotion. And what John is doing here in these chapters is he's pulling back the curtain, he's pulling back the veil and allowing us to see into this battle that's taking place, to see the realities of this battle that has been waging since the beginning of time. And in chapter 12, it starts with this this vision of this pregnant woman and a dragon, now, this probably wouldn't be the uh, bedtime story you, you pick for, for your kids, this pregnant woman and this, this dragon. But the pregnant woman, we're told she's clothed with the sun, she's got the moon under her feet, and she's got 12 stars around her, her head. And she's pregnant. She's pregnant with the son who is supposed to rule all the nations. But the dragon is waiting there, getting ready to devour this baby as soon as it's born. Pretty, pretty gruesome. But as soon as the baby is born, the baby is snatched up to heaven, up to the throne where where God is seated. And this woman, she flees into the wilderness to this place that has been prepared for her by God. So you read this and you're like, all right, what what is going on here? What, What does this mean? What does this represent? This pregnant woman and this baby and this dragon, what is this pointing to? What is this supposed to mean? You see, the pregnant woman represents the the 12 tribes of Israel from whom the Messiah, the Savior, would be born. It's actually a reference back to Joseph's dream in the Old Testament. And the dragon, of course, represents the devil, Satan. And the picture of the the dragon sitting there waiting to devour this child when it's born takes us back to, to Mary and the birth of Jesus, when King Herod was killing all the baby boys in Bethlehem who would be a threat to his rule and his reign. And Satan was using Herod 
to try to put an end to Jesus's life and Jesus's ministry. But you see, there's, there's even more. There's even more layers going on here. The, the vision is deeper than that. When we see this dragon waiting to devour this child, we really need to go all the way back to, to Genesis, to the Garden of Eden. You know, when Adam and Eve, when they took the, the fruit and they ate of it and they disobeyed God, in that moment, sin and brokenness and death entered into the world. And there seemed to be no hope. But in that moment, God made this promise to them that through Eve would come an offspring who would one day crush the head of the serpent, of the dragon. And ever since that promise, our enemy, Satan, the dragon, has been seeking to destroy this child that was promised that would one day defeat him. But in this vision, we see that the child is immediately brought up to, to heaven where God the Father is seated on his throne. And this is a picture of Jesus' life and ministry here on earth. When Jesus died and rose from the dead, he defeated sin and death and the grave in that moment. He defeated the enemy. And after he rose from the dead, he ascended into heaven where he is now seated at the right hand of God the Father. And the woman who flees to the wilderness, that, that's a picture of us, you and I, believers. And she's there in the, the, the wilderness, in this place that has been prepared for her by God. And just like this woman, we haven't been forgotten. We haven't been abandoned by God. God is actively caring for us as we wait for Jesus to return. God is working in us and through us with the Holy Spirit. But here's what we need to understand. Just as God is at work in us and through us as we wait for Jesus to return, we have an enemy. We have a spiritual enemy, Satan, who is at work as well. And listen to how chapter 12 finishes in verse 17. Then the dragon was enraged at the woman and went off to wage war against the rest of her offspring, those who keep God's commands and hold fast their testimony about Jesus. So if you are in Christ, if you are a child of God, then this dragon, Satan, is waging war against you. Be encouraged this morning. Like we have a real spiritual enemy and he has turned his attention away from trying to destroy Jesus, which he knows he failed miserably at. And his mission now is to destroy you. His goal, his mission is to, to, to destroy you, to devour you. And he wants to alienate you from Christ and he wants to claim you as his own. That is the mission that he is on. He is actively working against you. And what is his strategy for doing that? How is he waging war against us? Well, in chapter 13, we read about the enemy, the dragon's plan for trying to destroy us, for trying to devour us. And listen to what it says in verse one and two of chapter 13. It says that the dragon stood on the shore of the sea and I saw a beast coming out of the sea. It had 10 horns and seven heads with 10 crowns on its horns and each, one he and each head a blasphemous name. The beast I saw resembled a leopard, but had feet like those of a bear and a mouth like that of a lion. The dragon gave the beast his power and his throne and great authority. 
So we see here Satan, the dragon, is raising up this beast from the sea. And we have to remember that, that John, he's using a lot, of, a lot of symbolism, a lot of imagery here um, to, to describe what's going on. And throughout the, the Bible, the sea is always a, a place, a picture of, of chaos, a picture of, of evil. And the imagery of the, the beast that we're being given, it, it should be familiar to us. It's definitely familiar to, to the people who are reading this. It's a reference back to the book of Daniel. You know, John uses a lot of Old Testament references throughout Revelation that would have resonated with his audience. But Daniel wrote about these four beasts that represented different world powers all throughout history. And the beast that, that John is seeing here likely is a picture of the Roman Empire that was in authority at that, that time. And the Roman Empire was oppressing Christians all over the world. It demanded allegiance, it demanded loyalty, it demanded the worship of the emperor, and it attempted to try to take the place of God in the lives of the people. So John is seeing this, this beast, which is a picture. It represents the, the Roman Empire who's ruling through force, who's oppressing believers all throughout the, the world. You see, we have to understand that, that this beast, it also represents the systems and governments of our world today. Like we have governments and we have leaders in our world today that are hostile towards believers, who are hostile towards those who claim the name of Jesus. Think about governments like, like, like China and Iran and North Korea. They are actively persecuting and putting to death Christians. And they demand allegiance and loyalty that belong only to Jesus. This beast that, that John is seeing, it has been representative of governments and systems and leaders all throughout human history who try to claim loyalty and allegiance and worship that belong only to Jesus. These governments, they work through, through power and through force, but here's the thing, our enemy, he's clever. And he doesn't just work through, through force and power. He has a, another way of, of working as well. Look at what it says in verse 11. Then I saw a second beast coming out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb, but it spoke like a dragon. So John sees this second beast that's coming out from the, the earth. And where the first beast relied on, on power and authority and force and government, the second beast, his strategy is to use lies and deception. And these lies produce false religions. And I don't just mean the, the other world religions that we have, but the political and social ideologies of our day. Listen, we, we have to realize, we, we have to be alert to this. We are surrounded by the voice of the beast all the time. We can hear his voice in, in, in media and politics and entertainment and these ideologies that are being promoted and pushed and celebrated and even legislated. Many of them, they fly in the face of our belief as Christians. They mock and dismiss the, the Bible as irrelevant. They mock and dismiss Jesus and biblical marriage and holiness, and they demand allegiance and devotion. 
What are, what are some of these, these ideologies that are, are present in our world today? Let me, let me give you a few. I think one of them would be the, the sexual and gender revolution that has taken place over the last two decades that is seeking to redefine what marriage is, redefine what gender is, things that the Bible has, has clearly established since the beginning of time. It's trying to throw that out as narrow-minded and irrelevant and replace it with this new idea that marriage and gender and sexuality, that is open to your own interpretation. I think some of these ideologies are, are some of the social and political movements that we see in our world today, especially over the last few years that have, have caught fire. Um, I think Christian nationalism, this mixture of Jesus and government and politics that, that dilutes and, and twists what biblical Christianity is all about. The whole my truth movement, like this is my truth, this is your truth, you get to determine what's right for you, you can't tell me what's right for me, I get to determine what is right and true and best for my life. Listen, these are, are false religions that people have put their faith and their trust in. People are looking to these things for, for their salvation, for their identity. I mean, just think about the, the, the number of people we've seen just over the last few years that have found their identity, tied their identity to a political or social movement, both on the left and on the right. Think about the number of people you know who derive their sense of morality from Hollywood, from entertainment, from Barbie, from, from Taylor Swift. They, they look to these social and entertainment icons to determine what is right and what is true. The voice of the beast, it's all around us. And these ideologies, they're, they're, they're looking to divert our attention and our affection away from Jesus and towards the enemy without us even realizing it. You know, I think when, when we tend to think of, of the devil, especially if you've been around church for a while, you, you think of this little red guy with horns and a pitchfork, and he's there on your shoulder, and he's whispering, and he's telling you, eat the chocolate, eat the chocolate, eat the chocolate, or, you know, cheat on the test. And, and we feel like, man, if, if something really bad, something evil is, is at play, you know, I, I, it's gonna be obvious, it's gonna be clear to us, but here's what we have to understand our enemy, Satan the dragon, he is the master of deception. He is the master of manipulation. Notice what John said. The beast looks like a lamb, but speaks like a dragon. And what is Satan's primary language? Lies and deception. You see, the, the, the voice of the beast, it's, it's a counterfeit. It's a knockoff. It's like the, the Louis Vuitton bag your husband got from New York City and, and said it was, was the real deal. The fact that it's counterfeit, the fact that it's knock, a knockoff means it, it looks real. It sounds legit. It seems appealing. It's so subtle. It's so subversive, which is what makes it so dangerous. And what you see in chapter 13, this was new to me this week when I was studying. You see this counterfeit trinity. Satan, the dragon, is a counterfeit of God the Father. And the beast from the sea presents himself as a counterfeit Christ. It says that he has a fatal wound that has been healed. Does that sound familiar? 
Jesus' fatal wound has been healed. And the dragon has given the beast his power and authority, just like God the Father has given his power and authority to his son. And the beast from the earth is a counterfeit Holy Spirit. What does the Holy Spirit do? The Holy Spirit marks us and seals us to Christ. And what is the beast attempting to do? He wants to mark us and to seal us. He wants to bind our identity to the dragon through lies and deception and false religion and these ideologies. Listen to what John says in in, in verse 16 and 17. It also forced all the people, great and small, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hands or on their foreheads so that they could not buy or sell unless they had the mark, which is the name of the beast or the number of its name. So this is something that we like to talk a lot about a lot in church world. The mark of the beast. What is the, the mark of the beast? There's a lot of speculation uh, about that. Um, let me say a couple of things. One, I was told this in seminary. It is dangerous to read Revelation in one hand and the newspaper in the other hand. Because we try to, to, to cross-reference and connect dots that probably aren't there. And unfortunately, I think we've also seen a few too many sci-fi and Jason Bourne movies that make our imagination run, run wild. Listen, this is just, this is my opinion, this is my interpretation from studying, take it or leave it, but I don't think the mark of the beast is a microchip from Bill Gates that he wants to, to implant in us. Um, if, if they want to know where we are, they've got your iPhone right in your, in your pocket. Um, I don't think the, the mark of the beast is a, is a vaccine that the entire world is going to be forced to, to take. I don't think the mark of the beast is a 666 tattoo on, on your arm. I think that the mark of the beast is, a, is figurative language. Like think about it. When, when the Bible talks about the name of God is written on our foreheads, that's not literal. Like We don't have a tattoo of J-E-S-U-S across our, our, our forehead. So the mark of Jesus is the character of Christ that has been sealed in us and on us by the Holy Spirit. The mark of the beast is the character of the beast sealed in someone's heart, where their life has been marked and defined by these false religions, by these false ideologies. They have given themselves over to this counterfeit trinity, to the dragon, the beast from the sea, the beast from the earth. They have their allegiance and their loyalty. And we see this all around us every single day, don't we? People who surrender their lives to political movements, to social movements, to beliefs about gender and sexuality. They're marked by these false beliefs, these false religions, these ideologies. So, so far, we, we see this battle taking place. We see our enemy, the dragon, who's waging war against us. And how is he doing that? Through these two beasts. One that is, is through power and force and government. Another one that is through lies and manipulation. It's more subtle and subversive. But then listen to how chapter 14 starts. There's a shift in in what's taking place. Verse one, John says, Then I looked, and there before me was the Lamb, standing on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000, who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. So in this cosmic battle, you've got the Lamb and the dragon. 
This is the ultimate rivalry. It's Jedi versus Sith, Ollie versus Frazier, OSU versus, versus Michigan. You've got this rivalry taking place. And we see that the Lamb has gotten up from his throne and he is standing in opposition to the enemy, to the dragon. And we know that as, as, as followers of Jesus, that 2,000 years ago, the Lamb, Jesus, got up from his throne. And he left heaven and he came to earth to be a sacrifice, to have his blood shed for our sin in our place. But listen, when he stands up again, he is standing up to go to war and to deliver justice and judgment for the final time. He is standing up to put an end to this battle. And it says that standing with Jesus are the 144,000 that, that Mark talked about last week in chapter 7. It's those who have been marked and sealed, not by the beast, not by the dragon, but by the lamb. And it says that they are, are blameless and pure. Not because there's anything special about them, not because of anything they've done, but because of their faith and their trust in the Lamb. They have been washed clean by the blood of the Lamb. They have been sealed by the Holy Spirit, and they belong to the Lord. And then listen to what John says in, in verses 9 through 11. He says, a third angel followed them and said in a loud voice, if anyone worships the beast in its image and receives its mark on their forehead or, in, or on their hand, they too will drink the wine of God's fury, which has been poured full strength into the cup of his wrath. They will be tormented with burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and of the lamb, and the smoke of their torment will rise forever and ever. There will be no rest day or night for those who worship the beast and its image or anyone who receives the mark of its name. So these three angels begin to, to appear, and they begin to, to describe the coming justice and judgment for those who have been marked by the beast. And when you read it, man, it, it doesn't sound pleasant. I mean, listen to what it says. They will drink of the wine of God's fury. They will be tormented with burning sulfur. Like this is the picture of justice and judgment that we are being given. And once again, I think we have to remember, there's a lot of imagery here. There's a lot of symbolism. But this is so important. Anytime the Bible uses a symbol to describe something, the reality is always far greater and far more significant than the symbol. So if fire is the symbol of the coming judgment, then I'm afraid that the reality is far worse. Burning eternally is just a picture of what hell is actually like. There aren't words to describe the true torment of hell. Listen, hell, hell's not terrible because of the temperature. And hell shouldn't be feared because the, the devil's there. Hell should be feared because it's the presence, the full presence of God's wrath with the removal of his grace. Like we, we don't realize how much we benefit from God's grace on a daily basis. Whether we're a believer or not, God's grace, it's what holds us together. It's what sustains us. It's what gives us life. 
But hell is the complete and total removal of God's grace and the full measure of God's wrath poured out. And hell is eternal in nature. Listen to how John describes it. And the smoke of their torment will rise forever and ever. There will be no rest day or night for those who worship the beast. Hell isn't a place that people can escape from. Hell isn't time out. Where it's like, hey, go in the corner for a little bit. Once you learn your lesson, you can come back and play. No, hell lasts forever. There's no end. There's no relief. It says there is no rest day or night for eternity for those who have been marked by the enemy. Which is why John then says this in verse 12. He says this, the reality of this, it calls for patient endurance on the part of the people of God who keep his commands and remain faithful to Jesus. And if you read Revelation, this is a phrase that's repeated over and over and over, patient endurance. John is saying that the reality of this coming judgment and justice, it calls for patient endurance as believers, as the people of God who have been marked, who have been sealed by the Lamb. John's saying we, we can't afford to be deceived by these false religions, We can't afford to tie our identity to these false ideologies. He says, no, 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 you must commit, keep the commands of God and remain faithful to Jesus. You must remain steadfast. You can't afford to be manipulated and deceived. You need to keep your head in God's truth, your mind in God's truth. You need to be faithful to Jesus and patiently endure. And then in verse 13, he says this, then I heard a voice from heaven say, write this. Meaning, don't, don't, don't lose this. This is important. Blessed, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, they will rest from their labor for their deeds will follow them. It says, blessed are those who die in the Lord. Meaning, blessed are those who remain faithful to Jesus, or to those who patiently endured. And what will they receive? What is their reward? Rest. Eternal rest. Rest from their labor. Rest from their toil. You see, that's, that's really the, the invitation of the gospel. Jesus said, come to me, all who are burdened and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And isn't, isn't life exhausting. You look around at just the the brokenness and the hurt and the sin and the death and the corruption and just the hardships of life. It's exhausting. And Jesus says, come to me and you can rest. Rest from the heaviness of this life. Rest from the effects of sin in our world and in our body. Rest from from the anxiety and the depression and the feelings of, of shame and inadequacy. It's his invitation, come rest eternally. So we have this this cosmic battle. We have this dragon that has been seeking to destroy the promised child Jesus since the beginning of time. And when he realized he lost that battle, he turned his attention to you and I. 
And he began to to raise up these two beasts, one that would rule through force and government, another that would rule through lies and deception and false religion. And he is trying to mark you. He is trying to seal you. He wants to have you for himself. But then you see the lamb who is getting up from his throne, who is coming back one day to deliver justice and judgment. And those who've been marked and sealed by the lamb, they will enter into eternal rest. But those who haven't, They will enter into eternal torment. God's wrath poured out on them. And so what what does that mean for us today? What what do we do with that? How does the reality of this battle change our lives today? I just want to give you two simple things before we wrap up that we should should respond with to this. The first one is this, is is evaluation. And we, we need to take an honest look at our heart and our life and ask ourselves a question. Who has our allegiance? Who has our allegiance? Is it the lamb or is it the dragon? Is it Jesus or is it the enemy? And I know some of you would say, hold on now. Are, are you saying that I'm on team Satan? Are you saying that I, I, I worship Satan? Like, hold on, that, that, that's a little extreme. I'm not in my backyard making animal sacrifices at home. Like, hold on, hold on. But listen to what Jesus had to say to the religious leaders of his day, to the people that everyone else looked at and felt like, man, they're the ones who get it. They're the ones who know the most. They're the ones who are connected with God. Listen to what he said to them. John 8, 44. You belong to your father, the devil. And you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Jesus said to these religious leaders that they belonged to the enemy that their father was the devil, that they were marked by the beast. Why? Because Jesus didn't have their allegiance or their devotion. Their allegiance was given to something else, to a false religion, a false ideology that they looked to for their salvation and their hope and their identity. And because of that, they stood with the enemy, whether they realized it or not. Listen, There is no middle ground in this battle. You're either standing with Jesus or you're standing with the enemy. And if Jesus does not have your full allegiance, then the default is that you are standing with the enemy. Whether you recognize it or not, whether you consciously decided that or not. There are two sides to this battle, and every person is standing on one of those sides, and it all depends on what you have done with the Lamb, what you've done with Jesus. Have you turned to him for your salvation, for the forgiveness of your sins? Have you looked to him for hope and life? Have you tied yourself to him? Have you been marked and sealed by, the, the, by, by Jesus, by the Holy Spirit? And we need to take an honest look at our lives. And then secondly, I think that the response is a response of urgency. Man, this, this battle is going to come to an end. I, I don't know when. I can't give you a, a prediction or an estimate of that, but, 
what we know from God's word, from his truth, is that Jesus is coming back to deliver justice and judgment. And we are surrounded by people each and every day in our families, in our neighborhoods, in our places of work who are standing with the enemy and they don't even recognize it. And we, as believers, have been sent on a mission behind enemy lines to rescue people, to point them to Jesus, to point them to the Lamb. Listen, if Jesus just wanted to save you, he would have taken you as soon as you placed your faith and your trust in him. But just like the the woman who ran to the wilderness, this place prepared for her by God, who was a stranger in this world, waiting for Jesus to return. That is us as believers. We are strangers in this world. This world is not our home, but we are here on a mission. We are here for a reason, to rescue people from our enemy, from the dragon, who have been lied to and manipulated and deceived. And we need to point them to Jesus, who is the truth, who is the life, who is the way. And so where, where are you at? And what are you doing with the reality of this, this battle that's coming to an end? And we, we want to help you with, with whatever that next step may be for you. For some of you today, man, that next step is a decision to, to place your faith and your trust in Jesus. Not in some political movement, not in some social movement, not in some, some belief or some trend but to place your faith and your trust in Jesus and the cross and what he did for you, dying in your place so that you could be made right with God, so that you could enter into eternity and have eternal rest for your soul. Man, maybe today you need to take that step. For some of you, you may need to take the step of going public with your faith. Man, you've been marked, you've been sealed by the lamb, but you've never communicated that. And baptism is your way of identifying publicly that you have been marked, you've been sealed by the Lamb. You are a follower of Jesus. And next week is Life Change Sunday where we're gonna be celebrating baptism across all of our campuses. And we would love for you to take that step, for you to declare that you are a follower of Jesus, that you are standing on his side and on his team. And then for some of you, maybe you just need somebody to pray with. Maybe you just need somebody to, to talk with. And we have a Next Steps team in, in the back of our room who faithfully serves every week. And they would love to help you with whatever that next step is, whether it's a salvation decision or baptism, or you just need somebody to talk to or pray with. And so I would just encourage you during this next song or even after service, stop by. Somebody from our team would love to talk with you and pray with you and answer any questions that, that you may have. So Father, we we thank you that although at times it seems like the the battle we're losing and it seems like the, the enemy is winning, we thank you that the, the, the end has already been written, that you are coming back again. You're gonna get off your throne, you're gonna return, and you're gonna put an end to this battle. And those of us who have been marked and sealed by your spirit, God, we will enter into eternity with you. We will find rest for our souls. But God, we know that that many, whether they realize it or not, are standing with the enemy. They have been lied to. They've been deceived. They've been manipulated. 
maybe some even in this room, and Lord, my prayer right now is that you would open our eyes to the truth, that you would remove any blinders that the enemy may have on us and help us to see you for who you are as the only one who can save us, as the only one who can rescue us. God, give us a sense of urgency to live on mission, knowing that that this battle is coming to an end. There will be a decisive victory. And those who aren't with you will will be lost forever. God, may that break our hearts today. May that light a, a fire within us to be on a rescue mission for you. Jesus, we love you, we praise you, and we thank you. Amen.